Amen. I remind you to remain standing as we read together the gospel. Uh, these verses in the gospel of Luke chapter 2. Uh, as we read together, there is a word uh, name that we might not be familiar with. Uh, we're going to pronounce it Curinius. Uh, okay, so Curinius. And uh, we'll just say it with confidence, all right? No matter uh, how, how hard it may be, let us read together. In those days, a decree went out from the emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration and was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. All went to their own towns to be registered. Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David called Bethlehem because he was descended from the house and family of David. He went to be registered with Mary to whom he was engaged and who was expecting a child. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Well, we are in a new uh, sermon series in a new season uh, called Advent. Uh, Advent is the four weeks of, prep- of preparation as we prepare our hearts and our minds uh, for Christmas, for the birth of Christ. And as we journey together through Advent, through this series together, we will be uh, learning uh, how to go beyond Bethlehem, uh, how to go beyond Bethlehem. This is Advent, and uh, we have an Advent wreath to commemorate each of the four weeks uh, of the season of Advent, as well as the middle Christ candle uh, for Christmas Eve. And uh, we remember uh, that this week is the week of hope. And so we light the candle of hope as well. We do remember this season of Advent as we prepare our hearts and our minds, and uh, we kind of need some hope in this world. Right? Is that not just evident as we look around and as we go throughout our day and as we watch the news and, and as we engage in conversation? It just is pretty clear that we need some hope. Uh, and as I look throughout this world and, and as I kind of participate in these conversations, one thing is just kind of really clear that, that we're just afraid. Do you believe that? We're, we're afraid. If you have your sermon notes, I invite you to take those out. It might help guide you through this sermon. And, and one of the things that I think is just really clear is that we are afraid. We are afraid. And that can be the only explanation for, for some of the words that have said that have hurt our brothers and sisters and some of the actions that we've taken and some of the things that have happened throughout our world and uh, some of the awful things that have, that have taken place is simply just because we are afraid. We're afraid. Now, I, for one, uh, can definitely resonate with that fear. Um, one of the reasons that I'm afraid uh, is because of this. Uh, this is actually a picture of my son, uh, Elijah. Uh, he'll be born on February, uh, actually February 29th, it will induce, so we might have a leap year, baby. We might save a lot of uh, money on birthday presents, and uh, I'm just kidding. He'll really have a birthday every year, I promise. Don't tell him, no. Um, no, but uh, he's soon to be born in, a, in just a few months, and it kind of makes you afraid, right? As you, as you watch the news and as you look out in the world today, it just is kind of makes you afraid that you will bring another person to this world and you start to consider, you know, what is, what is his world like? And my daughter Anna is two now and I wonder what her lo- world is going to be like. When, when she grows up, what kind of world will she live into? Especially considering all the things that have happened, not only abroad, but in, in our own country. And, and, and all of these things start happening, we become afraid. I don't know if you can resonate with that fear or not, but I have a feeling we can, especially as we head towards Christmas and and things just get really crazy uh, and our anxiety increases and all these things happen and we just become kind of fearful. 
Uh, not only do we have to fit all of our schedules and all these meetings and parties and all these things that happen, it seems like all the work that ever gets done is between you know, Thanksgiving and Christmas and, and just everything kind of ramps up. And, and we not only look at all of that, all the stuff we have to do, uh, but all the money we have to spend. Right? There's just like a lot of money that gets spent on Christmas. Uh, we've actually learned that in this year, we Americans are expected to spend over $265 billion on Christmas. $265 billion on Christmas. I wonder how much of that money is actually going to things we need. You know, $265 billion on Christmas is what we're expected to spend, and, and we have to maybe even look at our budget and say, what are we going to do with our money, right? What are we going to do, you know, with all this money that we need to spend on, on this person or that person, and they bought us a gift last year, do we have to buy them a gift this year, and, and well, what are we going to do? And, and, and we start to become afraid. We start to become afraid, and not only for these reasons, not only because, you know, money might be tight, or, you know, I, I've got a lot of work to do, or not only because of that reason, because of what we see in this country, and we, 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 see, we see shootings and awful things that happen, but we also see abroad these, these terrible tragedies that are taking place all over the world. One of the things that we've learned is that, according to the United Nations, there are over four million Syrian refugees in the world. Four million people who, who are displaced from their homes, who are living in camps, who might not even have clean running water or food to eat. There are four million people without homes, and we hear these words, and we start to become afraid because we don't know who these people are, and we know that they need homes, and we don't know where they can go or, or who they can stay with, and, and we just become afraid, friends. We become afraid. But the good news is that there is hope there's hope. We read uh, this morning uh, from the Gospel of Luke, uh, part of the story of the birth of Christ. And just prior to the passage that we read earlier, uh, Jesus' birth is actually announced to Mary, the mother of Jesus. And and I think the passage that announces Jesus' birth is just beautiful. We read about it in the Gospel of Luke. And the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, favor one, the Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angels said to her, Do not be what, friends? Afraid. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. In fact, what we read throughout the Bible is that most times when an angel comes, right? Most times when an, when an angel, heavenly messenger, brings a message from God to humans, one of the first things they say is, do not be afraid. One of the first things that every angel says when he greets a human is, do not be afraid. I think one of the reasons is because angels know what fear does to humans, Right? Angels know. They've seen it happen before. They know what fear does to humans. It causes us to act unhuman. It causes us to act like other people aren't our own brothers and sisters. It causes us to act and think like we are not sons and daughters of God. What the angel Gabriel says both to Mary and to us is to do not be afraid. Gabriel said that to Mary, and I think that's really just kind of hilarious because Gabriel said it to Mary, and Mary had many things to fear, 
right? She had a great deal to fear. One of the things that she had to fear is the fact that she was 13 or 14 years old. She was a teenager. She was a teenager, and Gabriel was giving her this message and saying, you will bear the Christ child. You will be the one who will be known throughout the ages for the rest of history. You will be known as the mother of Christ. A, a teenager is who received this message. Imagine, you know, the, the messages you received, the decisions you made at 13 or 14 years old, right? They, they might have had some lasting implications. You might have done some things you weren't supposed to do. Many of us did really dumb things at 13 or 14. But this is the time, this is the age in which Mary received this message. She had many things to fear. Another one was that she was going to give birth to, to the Messiah, the long-awaited Messiah. We read about him throughout the entire Old Testament. We read about this one who will come. This one who, who will come, will be descendant of David, who will come be fully God and fully human, who will save God's people, who will be the salvation of the world, that we read about this person, and they expected him, and they waited him. And then Mary, at 13 or 14, receives the news that she will give birth to the Messiah. That's scary, friends. That's scary. And another thing that Mary had to fear is that she would give birth as an exile. She would give birth as an exile, as one without a home. We read in the Gospel of Luke that, that there was a census being taken throughout the entire land and that Joseph had to travel to Bethlehem uh, to, to take part in the census. And while they were traveling, they would give birth on the road. They would give birth without a home. That despite whether you read it in the Gospel of Luke or the Gospel of Matthew, who explains it a little differently, we read that, that Jesus' birth was not at home, it was on the run, it was on the move, that Jesus was not only an exile, friends, he was a refugee. He was one without a home. We read about in the Gospel of Matthew that he explains that they were on the run after the birth of Jesus. That after they had left home, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up and take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother by night, and went to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Out of Egypt I have called my son. That despite whether you read it in the Gospel of Luke or in the Gospel of Matthew, both explain that, that Mary gave birth as an exile and as a refugee. Friends, these words should shock us. The fact that when God chose to come down to earth, when God chose to take human form, he, he didn't take human form a, a, as a king, as a political leader, or as a military leader. When, when God came down to earth to save God's people, to give the message that he would give the people, he didn't come down as a prominent figure. In fact, he came down as a poor peasant who didn't have a home. To a 13 or 14-year-old mother, to, to parents who weren't yet married, that, that when God chose to come down, he came in this way. This should shock us. But one of the problems is we've heard the story too many times. We've heard the story over and over again, and it doesn't shock us anymore. And that's a shame because this story is amazing. That when God chose to bring change to this earth, when, when God chose to change this world forever, he came in this way as a poor peasant, as an exile, as a refugee, that the world might be saved. This is how God came to earth, as one without a home. 
Jesus himself said it in the Gospel of Luke. When, a, when someone comes to him and says, I will follow you wherever I go, Jesus responds, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. This is our Savior, friends. This is the one who was fully God and fully human. This was the Messiah that came to this earth. We are invited to follow him. We're invited to know him better. And in order to understand who Jesus was, we must understand refugees. Friends, because this is how Jesus came into the world. That God came as a peasant. That God came as a slave into this world. God came as the oppressed. And so to understand God, and in order to understand Jesus Christ, we must understand the form in which Jesus took a refugee. We are very blessed to have uh, Pastor Mark and uh, Michael Simons with us. Um, as some of you may know, uh, Pastor Mark and Michael just returned last week from Turkey, uh, where they've been for eight days to get to understand a little bit better what is going on in, in the Middle East right now and, and what is going on in this current crisis in which we have uh, millions, four million Syrian refugees spread throughout the globe now. And it was interesting to note that as Pastor Mark and Michael were planning this trip to Turkey, uh, at the same time, uh, a sister church of ours, Ginghamsburg United Methodist Church in Tip City, Ohio, was planning a similar trip to Lebanon. Uh, What we've found is that the majority of Syrian refugees have fled both to Turkey, uh, where Pastor Mark and Michael were, and to Lebanon. Um, uh, Roughly uh, two million refugees are in Turkey and about a million in Lebanon. And, and these are where the majority of the refugees have fled to. And so we're very blessed to have resources from both ends. And as we continue this series, Pastor Mark will share uh, his understanding, his, his resources that he's gained from being in that place. And we'll be very blessed to hear that. And so we were very blessed to have uh, Pastor Mark's resources from Turkey and Ginghamsburg's uh, from Lebanon. And, and we have a resource here, a video, uh, to help us just understand a little bit about what this crisis is. Uh, let's take a look together. This is a boy from Syria. He's also three years old, and just like my son, 100% pure, the purest of pure human beings. Their family lives here, in opposition to my experience, directly interrupted and uprooted by the world's problems. And you know, that's a lot more common than you might think. Right now, one in every 122 people on Earth are on the run. Some from natural disaster, but more and more are seeking refuge from violence and persecution, political upheaval, and social implications beyond their control. 57 million people, and counting, have been forced to flee their homes and seek safety across borders. Welcome to church. Did you see the the little boy at the beginning of the video? That's Jesus. That's the form that Christ took in order to save us. We've seen the worst humanitarian crisis this world has ever seen, and we are witnessing it happen right now. And as Christians, as ones who proclaim to be the light of the world, we are invited to respond. And, and, and I know, believe me, I know that this issue is just racked with political debate from both sides. And, 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 and I'm not trying to tell you that, that we should just, you know, fling up on our borders and just let everyone in, nor am I saying that we should just ignore this entire problem altogether. What I am saying, church, is that we are called to respond. 
We are called to respond as people of faith, as ones who profess to follow Christ, the risen Savior, the one who took the form of a slave that he might save the entire world. We are called to respond. We're called to respond. One of the reasons that we're called to respond is because many of the people who are being persecuted are Christians. Many of the people who are being persecuted are Christians, and, and we have some footage from their accounts. Let's take a look at that together. We cannot anymore say that uh, this is uh, this is a, a Muslim word and this is a Christian word. This is a civilized word and this is a, a, a down or maybe a retreated, a retreated word. No, the, the word is one. Friends, as, as people of faith, and, and as ones who profess to follow Christ, let us forever refrain from using the term those people. That as, as Christians, it's, it's pointless to create divides between us and others. That as we try to put others just, at, you know, just beyond arm's reach, and, and as we try to say, you know, we're, we're just so many thousands of miles away, you know, what can we really do? Let, let us forever refrain from using the term those people because those are our brothers and sisters. And, 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 and my point here is, is not to, to beat us up, not to shame us into doing something we wouldn't do otherwise. Uh, what I'd let you know is that many of our offerings, many of the money that you've either given on, on Christmas Eve or on Easter or just to missions offering has already gone to help those in Turkey. As Pastor Mark and Michael traveled there, they, they helped feed people who, who needed food. They helped clothe people. They, they gave money and, and did those things with the missions money that we've already collected, that we've already done. What we do want to say is that this crisis is happening and when we see the faces of the people, when we, when we see that they, they look similar to us, friends, they, they look like our brothers and sisters, then we are called to respond. And not only because there are Christians who are being persecuted, but because this issue is, is far greater than we think. There's one final video from Gingersbury, the resource that uh, they've given us that we want to show you. Let's take a look at this together. Even if I raise my voice a little bit, I see a lot of fear. Some of them, they cannot look into your eyes directly. I want all foreigners to understand that this is not a political issue. Normal people like me and like my children, like my family, we are the ones who are suffering. So I hope they can see the, the human, the human side of this war. The common hope they have is to go back to Syria and rebuild the, their country. And I heard a lot about them about this, that I want to be engineer to rebuild my house and my, my cousin's house and my friend's house. It's like that. I, they have passion. And I think this generation can change the future there. So let's respond, friends. Let's do something and not just let this pass us by. Because here's the truth, 
our response to this issue is how the world will know Christianity. What we do right now is how the world will understand people who profess the Christian faith. How, what we do right now is how people will understand who Christians are. So let's respond. Let's do something. I want to invite you to do at least one, maybe all three of these things. You might consider them action steps. You might consider them things to do or just challenges. That One of the first things that we could do, friends, is to just pray. To pray. And as Christians, we believe that our prayer has power, that it has the power to change the world. That we would just start by praying for those who are refugees. One of the four million people, that we would just pray for them. That they might find the shelter, the refuge, the hope that they might find what they're searching for. We'd also pray for the leaders, friends. Not only of our local government, of our nation, but we would pray for global leaders. Those who actually have a power to change the world. And that we would also pray, friends, for those who stand in opposition to these people. Friends, that, that we would pray that God would change the heart and minds of those who are in ISIS. Christ told us to pray for our enemies, friends, that we might actually do it. So one of the things I would invite us to do is to just, just pray. Um, but another thing is to maybe even spend a little less this Christmas. Um, as you maybe heard me say last, uh, last week, um, our Christmas Eve offering, uh, 100% of the offering that we collect both on Christmas Eve and on Easter, is given to mission. Is given to mission. That goes uh, both around the world to help those who are in crisis and also goes to those locally who need help. Uh, we would let you know that, that is the, same, the same will be true for this Christmas Eve offering that we collect. It will go both to refugees in Turkey, uh, as well as those in Guatemala who need clean water, as well to uh, the local YMCA and the Hope Center. This is what that money does. And so we would invite you to consider what you're spending on Christmas. I invite you to look at that amount and maybe even consider cutting that in half. And, and spending half the money on Christmas and then half the money on Jesus on his birthday. And give that to mission. You can give that here or, or you can just give that to mission. Just give it to people in need. That we would spend less. And not just money. Uh, that, but we would spend less, friends, in just things that don't matter. Um, one of the things we might consider spending less time on is Facebook. Can we just agree, right, that, that maybe some conversations on Facebook that we got started in really aren't going to change anybody's mind, really isn't going to, you know, help feed hungry families. Let's just agree as people of faith, to maybe to spend less time on Facebook. Friends, that we would just consider spending less time and less effort and less energy on things that just don't matter in the grand scheme of things. And that we would not only spend less, but maybe we would give more. Give more to, to mission, but give more of our time as well. Uh, if you don't have the, the resources or the effort to, to go to the Middle East to actually give your time directly to them, that we would just give it in mission, uh, just locally, that we would go volunteer at agencies who are in desperate need of help, the, the Regional Food Bank, the Hope Center, that we would just go somewhere, give our time, know what it is to give up, to volunteer, to, to do something selfless, that we would consider doing that. Because, friends, again, what we do right now is how the world will know Christianity, is how the world will understand those who profess the Christian faith. 
And, and I don't know if you have the same pulse that I do on, on the world, but it, but it seems like on a global scale, and at least on a national scale, uh, Christianity is kind of fading in popular opinion. Do you get that sense that, you know, Christianity, as we see churches, are, are, most churches are in decline, uh, thankfully in a blessing that, that we are not, we're actually growing, but what we see throughout most Protestant churches is that they're in decline, that they, people don't like Christians. People don't like Christians. But maybe that's because they don't truly understand what a Christian really is. And maybe what they see are Christians engaged in kind of hypocritical and meaningless debates and us backbiting and fighting each other and, and calling each other names and, and doing things to each other. And they say, yeah, I don't want to take any part in that. But what if they looked at Christians and they truly saw the hands and feet of Christ, that they truly saw us doing something that mattered in this world? Friends, that might actually have the power to change our hearts and our minds. That might actually have the power to stop the worst humanitarian crisis that this world has ever seen. That might actually have the power to save lives.